Hey guys, it's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassanac Files. And today we are talking 113, The Watch. This was a pretty good episode. Yet again, it's another one of those that I always forget that I like until we are right in the middle of it. Lots of interesting things coming to light that we didn't really know or we kind of knew but hadn't had it expressly said throughout the series. So that's kind of interesting. Um, Before we get into the thick of it, though, let me remind you that you can find the Sassanac files on all kinds of platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, CastBox, and Google Podcasts. And if you haven't checked it out yet, make sure you go over and check out the Sassanac Files blog. I recently just released my Droughtlander Survival Guide, which is going to be a series where I release all kinds of TV shows, movies, podcasts, books that you guys might be interested in throughout this very long Droughtlander that we're going to be experiencing. So make sure to check back regularly for that. This week's blog was about five period drama television series that you guys might find interesting if you haven't watched those yet. All right, so without further ado, let's get into the watch. It starts off exactly where Lollybrock left off, which is Jamie standing in the middle of the living room with a gun to his head with these strange men. And we come to find out that those strange men are the watch, which is a group of people that he has been avoiding for the majority of the series so far. If you'll remember all the way back to Rent, he took off Hell for Leather in the opposite direction when they ran into the watch who was burning down those people's houses. So yeah, they've shown up at Lollybrock, unannounced, unexpected, and they have Jamie. And obviously, Claire is freaking out. I would be too. And we have this little exchange, better make sure you kept your powder dry or I'll ram that gun down your gullet. (laughs) Classic Jamie attitude. But then Jenny shows up and she knows these guys by name. And Jamie is extremely confused, as anybody would be. And it turns out that she knows them, Ian knows them, and Jamie is like, what the hell? So it leads into this scene in the kitchen as they're preparing dinner, which they're talking very loudly. I mean, this house is not that big. If you watch when they are going through the kitchen, there's a door to the dining room, which is exactly where the watch is supposed to be going. Jamie's not bothering to be quiet about it. So it's very interesting. But he says, I never would have agreed to this. And Jenny turns to him and said, but you weren't here, were you, Jamie McTavish? And that kind of gives him pause for a minute because he wasn't there. They had to make these decisions all on their own. Jenny and Ian had to do what they had to do to keep the estate going. And the hard truth of it is, is that the Redcoats take what they want from whoever they want and they do what they want to whoever they want. The whole purpose of the watch is to protect whoever is paying them. And while Jamie doesn't agree with this practice and he thinks that they're a bunch of immoral thieves and they're lawless in a lot of regards, Ian says, 
Well, you think it hasn't taken its toll on us, but it has. And we didn't complain about it because it was our burden to bear, but we had to do what we had to do. And you have to understand that. This is what I love about Ian is that he can put things into perspective that a lot of other people can't. He knows how to get through to Jamie and you see it particularly come out in this scene. So we go into dinner and this whole scene is pretty much Macquarie trying to figure out Jamie. He knows something's up, but he trusts Jenny and Ian in a way. And so he's really just trying to feel it out. He suspects that Jamie isn't who they are saying he is, but he doesn't know who he is and he doesn't know why he's lying about who he is. He has his suspicions for a reason and he's the watch. Jamie doesn't trust him because he has his idea of what the watch is. And probably the watch isn't just one organization. Kind of my interpretation of it is that there are several different groups of the watch across the Highlands and they all have their different reputations and leaders. So Jamie has this impression that Macquarie is just this ruthless scoundrel who will turn anybody in to make a buck. And if you look at the rest of his group, yeah, that's probably the case. They'll do anything they can to make a dollar, you know. As we learn later in the episode, Macquarie is a, he's a little bit different. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I think that him and Jamie over the course of this episode are really trying to feel each other out and they admire each other in a lot of different ways, but they're not sure if they're on the same side, I guess, until the end. So dinner, they're talking about, oh, so you're an old comrade of Ian's, is what Macquarie's saying. And which is true. Jamie and Ian did fight in France together. This entire story is true, which is what is throwing Macquarie off. But then he's like, I find it odd that you two were so close and you fought together in the war and you're the cousin of Ian's wife, but I've never heard of you. Why haven't I heard of you? And so they try to cover it up and everything. And Jenny was like, oh, I'm sure you would have remembered him if you weren't so far into the drink, which... Macquarie kind of lets it go for the moment, but he knows that they're covering something up at this point. So one of the members of the watch, I wish I knew their names, but the guy with the pockmarks on his face, who proves to be a troublemaker for the majority of this episode, he kind of just does what he wants and he thinks there won't be any consequences to it and I just don't like him. He puts his feet up on the table and... Jamie looks at him with this murderous look in his eye. And I never noticed it before, but Claire reaches over like all of us do when we have a loved one that's about to fly off the handle. And we just, she puts his hand on his thigh and you can just imagine like her squeezing the crap out of his thigh, like to get his attention, to keep him from doing something rash. And I never noticed that before, but I thought that was cute. And Macquarie kind of notices this too and realizes that this is offensive behavior. And this is one thing that I really do love about Taryn Macquarie is that he considers himself a gentleman in a lot of ways as far as we don't offend the people that are hosting us. 
we do right by them. You see this whenever he pays for the hay that this same guy burns later in the episode. He's like, you know, I think we use more of your hay. So he doesn't admit that what they did was wrong, but he makes it right. And I think that's what grabs Jamie's attention in a lot of ways. That's when he starts to realize that this guy's a little different than what my initial impression was. He actually cares about doing the right thing. So I think that impacts what happens later in the episode in a lot of ways with Horrocks. So after the hay gets set on fire, Macquarie shows up right after Jamie beats all these guys' asses. And realizes that Jamie is actually going to be a very good asset if he can get him on his side. And so he does his best to kind of be like, I could really use a guy like you, a soldier. I'm trying really hard to, you know, refine these guys, but they're just a little rough around the edges. You know, they mean well, which I'm kind of with Jamie on this one. I'm like, these guys do not mean well. They are the bane of my existence right now. I just want you off of my property. I can't blame Jamie at all for feeling that way. Jamie says this great line. He says, I've done enough fighting in my life. I'm settled now. And being someone who has seen the next four and a half seasons of Outlander, that is so freaking ironic to me. (laughs) I'm like, right, you're settled now. Yeah, sure you are. So Macquarie and Jamie round back around to the courtyard and there's a stranger standing in the courtyard, newly arrived. His horse is still saddled. And who is it? Oh, it's the redcoat trader who agreed to tell everyone in Jamie's little group that Jamie wasn't actually the one that shot the sergeant. Blackjack Randall was the one that shot this guy that is the reason that Jamie has a price on his head and was kind of an ass about it. That's the guy that's now standing in Jamie's courtyard. And oh, crap, because you could just tell this guy is not a good guy, okay? That he never does anything without a price. He's an extortionist. He doesn't have a sense of honor or loyalty. And so this is going to get interesting. And for the moment, this guy Horrocks is playing along. He's like, no, I don't think I know him. You guys all look the same to me. But Jamie knows that this isn't the end of this. It's going to come back to bite him. There's no way that he knows who Jamie is and that Jamie has a price on his head and that he's not going to either A, extort him for money or B, reveal who he is to the watch because it's the watch's job to keep the Highlands safe. And the last thing that they're going to want is a murderer on the loose. So one thing or the other is going to happen. And Jamie's just waiting for the, the other foot to drop. So the next major thing that happens is Jenny goes into labor. And this proves to be fraught with all kinds of childbirth difficulties. First, the midwife is away. So Claire's going to have to deliver this child, even though it's not really her specialty. She tries to put on a brave face and she's like, no worries, we will figure it out. Because this child isn't in the proper position. It's it's backwards, essentially. So it's going to be delivered feet first instead of head first like children are supposed to be born. So Claire knows that this is already going to be difficult. 
made even more difficult by the fact that she doesn't have any experience with delivering children, but she's trying to keep on a brave face for Jenny and for Jamie. But this whole experience is extremely frightening for Jenny because she knows that it's not a typical birth and her mother died during childbirth. This is bringing out all kinds of inner turmoil and grief and fear in Jenny. Both Jenny and Claire know that this is going to be a difficult birth. And so Claire, being the typical 1940s dad very in the loop during labor situation, is like, well, I'm going to go tell Ian. And Jenny's like, I'm not going to tell him anything and neither are you. You're staying here with me and Ian, all he needs to know is that the baby's coming and I'm not going to stress him unnecessarily. He knows that childbirth is a dangerous business. Either everything's going to end up fine and he never needs to know or I'm going to die and he can deal with it then. That's kind of how that is playing out. And all in the meantime, we get Horrocks's demands to Jamie. He wants money to go to Boston. And if he gets this money, he will keep his mouth shut. And Jamie knows that the estate does not have a lot of money. He personally does not have a penny to his name. So he doesn't know how he's going to make this work. And there's an interesting conversation at this point between Jamie and Ian, where Ian's like, what is wrong with you? Like, (laughs) And this is one of my favorite quotes of the episode where he says, ever since they got here, you've had a look on your face like you've got a thistle stuck up your arse. (laughs) It's so true. But only Ian could get away with saying something like this to Jamie. They're such good friends and they have been for a long time. But I love that quote. And it leads into basically what the hell is going on in... Jamie's like, I really don't agree with your decision to let the watch come into our home. I don't understand why you did it. And Ian says, listen, what happened with Jenny and Blackjack Randall will never happen again. I will do what I have to do to keep my family safe. And that kind of gives Jamie pause because up until this point, he's been able to kind of sit on his high horse and be like, I would have never done that. Until he realizes that Ian's main motivation for this is that he wants to keep the Redcoats far away from Lollybrock and far away from his tenants and his wife and his children. And he will do whatever he has to do to make sure that that happens. So Jamie then comes clean with, look, this new guy, Horrocks, is extorting me for money because he knows I have a price on my head. And Ian's like, well, Jenny told me about some money that your dad left for you and it's hidden away. We know where it is, but I think that you should use this money for this purpose. And Jamie really struggles with this because A, half of this money is Jenny's and half of this money is Jamie's. But even if Jamie wanted to use his half of the money, he's still got that part of him that is like, I can't. It's so difficult for him to let this person win in a lot of ways, I think. His stubbornness comes in. But it's also his sense of morality and the fact that 
if I'm going to get in trouble for this, I'm going to get in trouble for it. I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get hung, but I'm not going to leave my family destitute in the process. So he's really struggling with this, but Ian says, look, if this is what you have to do to get this guy off our backs, just do it. We'll figure everything else out later. And Jenny would agree with me. But there's one other person that Jamie wants to consult before this happens, and that's Claire, who didn't even know the money existed. So literally probably would have had no issue with it, but Jamie consults her anyway because he's a good husband, and it leads to this beautiful and tragic conversation between the two of them where Jamie says, this money was meant for our sons and daughters and the running of this estate, I wanted to pass down the good Fraser name to them. And if I give this money away, we won't have that. And so he's really distraught over this. Like he's thinking about this. He wants a good legacy and he wants his family to be secure when he does have children. And this is something that Jamie has thought about. He really wants kids. And you can tell by the way that he's talking to Claire about this. Like he's thought about this a lot. And Claire is so heartbroken and she reveals to him that she doesn't know if she can have children and that she tried for many years with Frank and was never able to. And I just felt so awful for these two. This is a problem that, I mean, yes, it's a Jamie and Claire problem, but it's a commentary on society as well because This is something, infertility is something that couples deal with every day. And to see a conversation like that happening on television, this was the first that I had ever seen in a dramatic sense of this topic being brought up on a television show. And so I really appreciated that on a lot of levels, but it just broke my heart, honestly, because you can see how bad Jamie wants it. And Claire says, she's like, I wasn't sure that I ever wanted children And I wasn't, I was okay with that. I was okay with not having children. And I never anticipated even wanting to have children with you. I never anticipated loving you. I know I should have told you before we got married, but I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. She thought she was going back to Frank. This marriage with Jamie was a temporary thing and she would be gone by Christmas, you know? And instead she made the executive decision to stay with him. And now they're in a situation where something that he really wants is something she can't give him or may not be able to give him. And he says this line, I could bear pain myself, but I could not bear yours. And I think that's really poignant. And that says a lot about Jamie. I mean, he says it in the context of, well, I'm glad you wouldn't have to go through labor because I just don't know if I could deal with you being in that amount of pain. That's the context in which he says it, but that's not what he really means. He means I'm going to suck it up for you and put on a brave face because I don't want you to feel the pain of disappointing me in this moment. So he smiles and he gives her a hug and he's like, it's okay, we'll figure it out. I love you. And when she leaves the room, his face just crumples and he sits on the foot of the bed and just kind of sits there and thinks about these dreams that have basically all gone up in smoke for him. 
but he won't share that grief with Claire because he doesn't want her to feel even worse about the situation, which says a lot about him as a character, and I really admire that about him. There's a lot to be said about honesty and communication, but there's nothing he can do to fix it. So why hurt the other person in the process? As long as there's no resentment there, communication isn't going to do anything. And I think that's where he's coming from. He's like, I'm just going to suck it up and put on a brave face because that's what she needs from me right now. So the next scene is Jamie going out to meet Horrocks to give him the money that has been agreed on. And shock, shock, Horrocks decides that's not good enough that he needs more money in the true way of all blackmailers and extortionists. It's never enough. He's always going to ask for more. And he's like, well, you can sell land or livestock. You're the laird. You can do what you want. And Jamie's like, this is clan land. I can't do anything with this land. It's been in the family for generations. Orx is like, well, I'd hate to think that anything would happen to your family, like threatening and Anybody who knows Jamie Fraser knows you do not threaten his family. So this is already going south. Horrocks is, he's definitely been in the whiskey and he does not know what he's getting himself into. But he thinks because Jamie gave him what he wanted, he thinks that, oh, it'll all be all right. I'll just tell him I want more money and he'll give me more money. I might have to push a little bit, but he'll give me what I want. Bad move. No. (laughs) Jamie's not giving him any more money. (laughs) And what we didn't count on was Ian having followed Jamie and Ian kills Horrocks and says he was a traitor, absconderer, and a thief. And basically wouldn't know what honor was if it bit him on the backside. And like Ian's conversation with Jamie when they were fixing the wagon, you really see that Ian, like Jamie, would do anything to protect his family and his tenants. The rest of the world be damned. One of the key differences is that after Ian kills Horrocks, he's shaking like a leaf. Like, this really shook him up. He'll do what he has to do, but it's not in him that way. And Jamie sees this. He sees that while Ian did what he had to do, it affected him in a way that it wouldn't have affected Jamie. Jamie's desensitized. And I don't know whether this is the way Jamie is as a character or just his experiences as a person, because he's been through a lot in the past four years. He's essentially been on the run since he brought Ian back from France with his leg missing. Jamie's been through a lot. And he's kind of been on his own. And so I think that's desensitized him in a lot of ways to the rougher parts of being an outlaw, which is death and having to kill people. And it's unfortunate. But I think we kind of see the difference between someone who's been safe at home with his wife and kids for the past four years versus someone who's been fighting for his life and been on the run for the past four years. And it's a very interesting juxtaposition for those two characters. So, inevitably, this is all going to get back to Macquarie. And Jamie makes this very interesting choice when he's confronted with Macquarie realizing that Horrocks has been killed. Jamie makes the interesting decision to come clean, tell him the truth. I'm a wanted man. 
sort of come clean, I guess, because he says that he killed Horrocks, not Ian, which makes sense because Jamie is protecting Ian. Jamie already has a price on his head for one murder. What's another murder? One murder or two, they're both hanging offenses. So he's keeping Ian safe in a lot of ways. And he comes clean to Macquarie and says, it was me. I killed him. He was extorting me for money. He knew that I was a wanted man and I couldn't have him threatening my family. I had to keep them safe. And shock, shock, shock. Macquarie says, good. I never liked him anyway. If ever a man needed killing, it was him. (laughs) I think Jamie was about to drop the piece of bread in his hand. Like He was just so shocked. He was expecting more of a fight, I think, or having to be more persuasive in his argument. And holy crap, the last thing he was expecting was for Macquarie to be like, eh, no big deal. The only thing that Macquarie wants in return is for Jamie to come with them on the raid in Horrocks' place, which he kind of says it with this undertone of, and you're going to do it unless you're prepared to dig seven graves, including your own. So that kind of still didn't sit right with me, and I think it didn't sit right with a lot of people, but we're starting to see kind of what Ian saw in Macquarie. And Jamie's starting to be like, okay, so maybe this guy isn't the completely immoral wretch that I immediately thought he was. My first impression might have been wrong about this guy. So Jamie goes up to tell Claire that he's going with these guys. And obviously she's worried and she's worried that Ian is going with him because she knows that Jenny is quite possibly in danger of dying during this childbirth. And she doesn't want him to be away while all of this is happening. But Jenny's like, you know what? No, I don't need you here. Because Jenny's like, the last thing I want if I'm dying is for my husband to be here and to see it. That's something that you can't unsee. So Jenny is being wise in that regard. Claire and Jamie go out in the hallway. And she gives him the little snake that was carved by their brother Willie for him. You really see the grief that Jamie has been holding for his brother. And whenever he sees that snake, he's like, oh, it's the snake that Willie carved for me. I haven't seen him in a really long time. And there's something about that scene that always just really kind of like a knife in my heart in a lot of ways, because as if the show isn't a constant reminder, Jamie's been through a lot a lot in his life. He was only eight when his brother died. His best friend died of smallpox. And then two years later, his mother died in childbirth. And then it was just him and Jenny and their dad for his formative years from the age of 10 to 18. At 18, he was arrested by the Redcoats for trying to defend his sister, flogged, 200 times, 200 lashes with a cat of nine tails, almost died, managed to escape that, went over to fight as a soldier in France, almost lost his best friend, sent him back home, has been on the run for four years, and book Jamie has been through more than even show Jamie has been through at this point. So 
it's just, you see all of that in this scene with the snake that he's like remembering a simpler time almost. And so it's just very emotional for me to watch that. And then when he leaves, there's this great scene where Claire said, you heard your sister haste ye back or else. And Jamie gives her this little smirk and says, or else what? She's like, or I will follow you and drag you back by your thick red curls and you won't like it one bit. I love this playfulness between them. And they love each other so much at this point. Claire knows that what he's embarking on is extremely dangerous and that it's not going to be easy and she wants him to be careful and this is her way of telling him that. But at the same time telling him, if something happens, I will come after you. This is all said in jest, but it's extremely serious. Like he knows that she will come for him if he does not return. So it's really great to kind of see their relationship has reached this point. So they go out for the watch and bad things happen. There's a lot of commentary on the Jamie and Macquarie parallel. A lot of people think, and I have a tendency to agree, that Macquarie is a path that Jamie would have seen for himself if Claire had not come along and he had not been married. If he had remained unmarried and remained an outlaw, he could have ended up as part of the watch. And Macquarie is honorable in a lot of ways. There's a parallel between him and Jamie. Macquarie's older and he's more hardened, but there are a lot of parallels there between the two characters and it is a potential path that Jamie probably could have gone down. So it's interesting to look at that. Then when they finally get to the meeting spot, Jamie kind of looks around and it hits him. He's like, oh shit, this is a trap. And he tries to tell everybody, but at that point it's too late and we're left on that cliffhanger for another week. And we go back to Lollybrock where Jenny has recently had her baby girl, Margaret Ellen Murray. And the way that it was shot with the little baby and Claire wrapping up the baby and all you see is Jenny's bloody legs. There's this moment where you're like, oh shit, did she really die? And then obviously we know that she didn't, but I love how that was shot with not showing Jenny, just showing her legs because we've known that this was a possibility the entire episode and that's how Ellen, her mother died. So it was very interesting to see that and it was a brilliant choice to shoot it like that and then kind of pan up as the baby moves to see Jenny alive and well. It was just great. And the waiting begins. So they wait and they wait. And Jenny says, he will come home. I stared at that archway every day for four years and he came home. He will come home again. The sucky part of this situation is that he does not show up. Ian shows up. Being the bearer of bad news that... Jamie was captured, protecting Macquarie of all people. He wasn't going to leave him behind. So our honorable Jamie has got himself captured by the Redcoats because his sense of self-preservation is 
not as strong as his sense of loyalty, um, which is a lovable fault. <laughs> so that's kind of where we're left off with Claire staring desperately down the path for any sign of Jamie and knowing that he's not coming. Which leads us to performance of the episode, which for me was Sam Hewen, hands down. He had so many different layers to him in this episode. So many little expressions on his face. He's the king of little expressions. And seeing him bounce off of all these different characters, he only had a few scenes with Katrina in this episode. A lot of his scenes were with the guy that plays Macquarie, the guy that plays Horrocks. He had a lot of scenes with Stephen Cree in this episode, which was why Stephen Cree is my honorable mention. He also did a phenomenal job. I love seeing him as Ian and I love seeing Stephen and Sam work together. They just have this um, brotherly bond. They play that so well. So I really enjoy watching that. So yeah, that brings us to the conclusion of 113 The Watch. Next episode, I'll be doing an episode analysis on 114 The Search, which isn't one of my favorites, but it's one of those that I always, when I watch it, I can't stop watching. (laughs) So uh, it's always interesting to talk about that one. Well, I'm going to wrap up for this week, guys. I hope that you enjoyed this episode analysis. If you have any questions, make sure to reach out at thesassanacfiles at gmail.com or via social media. Until next time, guys, be safe and I will chat at you later. Bye.